I want to talk to you about bearing fruit today. And it's going to be a little different than you've probably heard in the past. Uh, We often get this mixed up and confuse it with what Jesus really meant when he talked about bearing fruit. There's also a number of places in Scripture that other people talk about bearing fruit. And if you grew up in a, a specific type of church growing up, You grew up understanding this in one way. As I continue to grow and go through different things of life um, and just spend more time with Christ as he opens up his word, which is what the Holy Spirit does, uh, I've come to understand a lot of what I grew up. I've come to understand it differently. Uh, And I'll I'll share a little bit about that with you and why that is. But our primary text we're going to be looking at is John chapter 15. Uh, verses 1 and 2, or not 1 through 2, it's actually 1 through 10. We're going to start with 1 and 2. So if, you, if you're following on version, you can follow there. My notes are there. You can take notes to yourself there and send them to yourself, save them, um, or you can share them with others as well, just as a framework so you can hear what I'm saying and add, because um, hopefully the, 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 the preaching-teaching moment is not supposed to be just um, you receive and then leave, <laughs> but that's usually what it is. Uh, it's really for you to interact and engage. So we've done several series here, and, and I just want to open it up. If you ever want to stop me and ask a question or uh, whatever, if it pertains to what we're talking about, then feel free to do that because that that is the way that the early rabbis taught. I'm not a rabbi, but um, but I do believe in engaging a text together, not just you absorbing it, all right? John chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, um, this is the passage about Jesus being the true vine. It says, and this is Jesus speaking, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. I wanted to share this during our Rooted series because what is the point of being rooted? What is the point of growing? What is the point of this whole thing that we're doing? And I think that the majority of people, uh, that may not be fair, a lot of people um, understand the, the, the main reason for all that we're doing as heaven. However, that is really not where Jesus spent most of his time talking about what this was all about. And it's a part It's a part of what this is all about. But I am convinced that one of the biggest problems we have in the church today is a worship of heaven and not a relationship with Jesus. I'm convinced that's one of our problems. And that's one of the reasons that we so focus on conversions. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Or John 3.16, you will have life eternal. I, I, and, and that's a good thing, and there's a reason that he gives us hope for a future even beyond this world and talks about the world being, uh, our world is not really this world. Our, his kingdom is not really this kingdom. It's why we don't um, hold up political things as our hope, because political things are only hopeful for a, a moment, and then someone else is elected into office, and in all honesty, most of the time people are elected into office, they don't even care about what we're having in a relationship with Christ. They just care about what they're doing in their office, which they should care 
what they're doing in their office. That's why we don't move in the direction of pushing politics here, because we're trying to push Jesus here. Now, that may seem kind of, you know, hippy-dippy or whatever, like, oh, well, I just that's just because you don't take it seriously. I, I take it incredibly seriously. And I think this is exactly what Jesus is saying here. We take this incredibly seriously. And he talks about three different parts, really. The vine, which is him, and then these branches, which are us. And then he talks about two types of branches, branches that bear fruit and branches that don't bear fruit. And, you know, I know there are trees, there are fruit trees that don't bear fruit, but there's not supposed to be. You know, if you put an apple tree in your yard, what do you want eventually? You want apples, right? Like, why would you want to say, yeah, that's my apple tree, and it's never actually grown a single apple? You know, you wouldn't want to do that. I mean, some people would. Maybe they like the the leaves and the look of the tree without having the fruit, but you typically want a fruit tree to have fruit. And if you are a gardener and you have a fruit tree that doesn't have fruit, typically they're going to say, well, then something's out of balance. Something's out of whack. Because a fruit tree is bi- you know, biologically, genetically engineered to do one thing, produce fruit. So if it's not doing the one thing that it's meant to produce, it was designed to produce, something is off, something is wrong, and there you can go to a million websites and they'll tell you what you need to check to see why your tree's not doing well. It could be they don't have enough sun, it could be the soil's not, not the right composition, it may not be getting enough water, it may be competing for resources with too many things around it. It'll give you a whole list of reasons why this tree is actually growing but it's not producing fruit. It's, it just makes no sense. It's not what it was created to do. Jesus says well, there, there are branches on the vine that don't produce fruit, and it's taken away. And then there are those that produce fruit, and it does, he doesn't say, and, and they go on and live happily ever after. He says it's pruned. So what does this mean? There are a number of questions we've got to answer, and let's start with simply this. Um, that we are meant to bear fruit. This is what Jesus is saying. And and the main question that we have to ask then is, uh, what is this fruit? So what is the fruit that he's talking about that we bear? Now, I grew up in a very conservative mainline denomination that was very much about belief and works. So we understood bearing fruit as works. Like, you go do good things. You lead people to Christ. You go start a homeless shelter. You go be a missionary in another part of the world. You go do this thing. You come to church. You read your Bible. You give a tithe or an offering. And you do all these things. But that's not really the imagery that Jesus is using to talk about the vine or the fruit. And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the branch that doesn't bear fruit. Because most gardeners will tell you, you don't give up on that branch. (laughs) You figure out why it's not producing fruit, and you help it produce fruit. And Jesus really doesn't tell us who this, this applies to. So I can't stand up here and say, you produce fruit. You are the one that's taken away. I, I can't do that. Now, some have thought that this, he's talking about Israel. These were the chosen people of God who have rejected Christ. They crucified 
Christ. And when you look in the Old Testament, the vine is always talking about Christ, or not Christ, is always talking about the uh, line that has rejected God. The vine is not producing fruit. Is usually the Old Testament talk about the vine. So it could be Israel. It could be people who come to church, but they don't actually believe. It could be people who never grow. Maybe they're the rocky soil. When we talked about the parable of the soils, or they're the seed that fell in the area that, and the weeds came and choked it out. Uh, we don't know. And so we don't really need to spend a whole lot of time on this, although in Christian history, we tend to want to focus on the people who aren't saved, not on how we ourselves grow, which is problematic in my mind. So what is this fruit? Is it good works? Well, Ephesians 2.10, Paul, who talks about fruit and works, says we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should be involved with good works. But this is not really the fruit. Because interestingly, this Jesus is saying singularly, fruit. Like a fruit, not like lots of fruits. Like a fruit. So what is it? I think most scholars would agree that Paul is latching on to this idea when he talks about singular fruit in Galatians 5, and we call these the fruit of the Spirit. So Galatians 5.22 says this, and I want you to keep in mind as we read this that he's still talking about singular fruit. But Jesus is talking about a fruit, one thing. Paul is talking about fruit, one thing of the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, this Talk about fruit of the Spirit comes immediately after Jesus says, don't satisfy the desires of the flesh. And he goes on and he lists a bunch of different sins. Just before that, Paul is talking about being free from sin. So don't submit yourself to be enslaved to sin again. And then, and so don't satisfy the desires of the flesh. And then, so keep in producing fruit through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. This is how we live our lives, by bearing this fruit. And he says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Which leads us to the next question. If this is the fruit, and keep in mind, when we talk about fruits of the Spirit, again, he's talking about singular fruit. Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control is like one bundle. So as we grow, and according to what Paul is saying, like if you don't have any joy whatsoever, something's gone wrong. Like the fruit is not happening. If you have patience, but no self-control, like you can't have self-control without patience if this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is one thing, and this all manifests within you. Now, before we jump off the cliff into shame, which is where these kinds of sermons can easily go. 
he, he's not saying that from day one you're going to have these things if you're a real Christian. This is like a lifelong journey. It's been for me, and it will be for you. Developing fruit, bearing fruit is a lifelong journey. But you should, hopefully, if you've been a Christian for a while, should be farther down the road than you were when you became a Christian. And if you live another good number of years, you should be way farther down the road then than you are right now. So we don't jump into the, these are the five signs that you are producing fruit, which people will write books about and sell Bible studies on and things like that. Singular fruit. Are we growing? If we go back to the parable of the vine, if we're not growing, what use are we? Do we really have a place in the kingdom? And Jesus is saying, well, no, you don't. If you're not developing fruit, then you're taken away. And he gets even more specific when we go into the next few verses in John chapter 15. So how do we bear this fruit? We go back to John 15, verse 3, the next verse after after what we read just a few minutes ago. He says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and die in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now this is where we begin to separate from the idea that we were created for good works because who's responsible for doing the good works? Supposedly we are, right? We have something we should go do. When we understand the fruit of the vine being something that we're supposed to go do, then we miss what he's actually saying here in verses 3 and 4. And he says, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. You are a branch. You cannot bear fruit by yourself. It's not like I come over here after a really good sermon and I go, and fruit pops out, right? It doesn't work that way. Like That was a bad sermon. I got no fruit today. But that was a good one, so I'm going to, I got lots of fruit coming out. Literally, Jesus says, you can't bear fruit on your own. So it's not what you do. It's not about you getting into the right list of things to do. Something else is going on entirely here that Jesus says this, you will bear fruit when you abide in me. Which leads us to the next question. Then what in the world does that mean? Because literally what he's saying is, I'm the vine, I'm like, all the good stuff. I'm the vine. You're the branch. You literally rely on the vine to make all this happen. And all you got to do is abide in Christ. That's all you got to do. Do you realize that to follow Christ simply means we have to abide in Him? We just abide in Him. Now this word abide, I mean it, it's, it's a well-used word, especially in John's gospel. It's the Greek word meno, and it can be both a verb and it can be a noun. In the verb form, we get the word abide. In the noun form, we get the word abode or dwelling or house or home or rooms within a home. Is any imagery coming up about how Jesus talks about being with him through this word minnow? Like, he's talking about abide with me. So what does it mean to abide in him? Now, John talks about this a lot. 
And in John 14, 1 through 3, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Minnow. To abide in him is using the same word, different form, to talk about this house with many rooms that he's going to prepare a place which has been used in countless funerals because it gives us hope for the future that he's actually going and he's creating a place that we get to go live with him when we die. Like this big mansion. I mean, we have a whole theology around this mansion theology, right? You get a good room if you're a good Christian and you get like a little shanty or you're in the outhouse out back if you're not a good Christian, but he still lets you in because he's graceful. You know, that, there's all kinds of whacked out theology around this word minnow, but that's where we get it. When he's talking about abiding in me, it's the exact same word that he's using to say, I'm preparing a home for you. In other words, heaven is about abiding in him, abiding with him. In John 14.10, he says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. In other words, Jesus is a branch of God the Father, which I know requires another conversation about the Trinity that we don't have time for today. He's constantly showing us what it looks like to follow him by the way that he has his own relationship with the Father. And he says, I dwell in the Father, and the Father dwells in me, and he does the works. He does the works in me. Same word, minnow. To abide. John 14, 23, still, same chapter of John. John is a rich, rich gospel. Jesus answered him and says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Minnow. Abide. Abode. Lots of imagery around this idea that we abide with God, which then leads us to the question then, so how do we abide in him? Is that what we want to jump to and be done with this morning? Let's jump back to John 15, verse 5. He reiterates what he's just said and goes into more detail. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, whoever has a home with me, and I have a home with them, whoever's in my house, and I'm in their house, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. That would be what we would understand as judgment. If you abide in me, there it is again, and my words abide in you, same word, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So this fruit thing, like it's super, super important, right? But it's frustrating because we can't actually make ourselves produce fruit. And we are a get-something-done kind of people. Tell me what to do. I will do it. Jesus is saying it doesn't work that way. That is not how it works. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Same word. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Again, showing us what it looks like. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. Again, that joy comes from somewhere else. It's not internal. It comes from somewhere else. Why do I I share all this with you? I, I have come to the place in my life where churchy things do not excite me. I don't get excited about churchy things. I don't get excited about the next curriculum. I don't get excited about the next sermon series. I don't get excited about having the best worship service that we've ever had here. And you may think, well, maybe you shouldn't be a pastor. And maybe not. Maybe not. You might have a point there. What I get excited about are my times alone with Jesus. So I always thought, because all of everyone like me, when they came out of seminary, thought they were going to be the next big thing as a pastor. And I, I mean, I've got, I've got a resume. I've got lots of degrees. Uh, I have other people who tell me I'm an expert in things. Now, whether I am or not is a whole other matter, but they think I am, so I guess that's something. But at the end of the day, I had an experience with Jesus when I was 15, year old, 15 years old, and it absolutely changed my life. Jesus was there. He was there. Now, I'm not a particularly charismatic person in either personality or theology. But one thing I do share with my charismatic brothers and sisters is a belief in the understanding that what we are supposed to experience with Jesus is more than simply reading the Bible and then memorizing it. There is an experience with Jesus that goes beyond something more profound than simply knowing things about him. And I think Jesus told us that was true when he said, there are a number of you who are going to come to me in that last day, and you're going to say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say, I don't know who you are. And their response is going to be, but look at all the things we did. Look at all the things we learned. Look at all the times we went to church. Look at all the the positions we volunteered for. Look at all the money we gave. And he's going to say, yeah, yeah, but, but I don't know you, and you don't know me. So depart from me. Jesus says this is going to happen. I find this the most frightening verse in all of Scripture. And I think Paul agrees with the sentiment because he said, you know what the worst thing ever would be? Is if at the end of this whole thing, I missed it. Like I preached my whole life about this, and then I myself don't actually experience it. I, there's a, an abiding in Christ that is experiential. And if you've never had a time of worship, And I don't mean in the room. I mean by yourself. If you've never had a moment of worship and a moment in your time of prayer in which you, he is in the room. I don't mean that like a man in flowing robes with a nice European haircut is sitting in the chair next to you because that's never happened to me. But you can't help but say, Jesus is here. I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus says, I've come for the outcast, for the poor, for the captive. I've come for the hurting. And I also think it's why Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to go through, to, to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because there are people that are looking for him, and there are people that don't feel like they need him. And rich person is just code for self-sufficient. Not like money means you can't go to heaven. 
Rich man is code for self-sufficient. I don't need anything else. I got it covered. I mean, have you seen my bank account? Have you seen how good I am just by myself? And I think people that struggle and suffer are more open to looking at things, looking for more, because there are a place where our self-sufficiency naturally comes to an end. I guess sometimes why people want, you know, some of our, our young folks who grow up in church and then they're like, I'm out, I'm out. Because they're super focused on what they're going to do with their life. But things happen in life that make you reevaluate life, don't they? What we have found is, is uh, two of the things that most frequently cause someone to change their mind about something is, one, they have kids, and now they're responsible for these little things over here that I don't, am I going to mess them up? You know, or what should I do? I think I should probably get them in church. That's one. And the second is something catastrophic, catastrophic suffering, which could be sickness or death. As we get older, we are faced more regularly with death, aren't we? We, we see that life doesn't last forever, that we can't survive everything. We were at the beach last weekend. We were not in a big condo, but we were in a house. But 150 people were in a condo in Surfside three weeks ago, and they didn't go to bed thinking that was their last day. You know, we, As we get older, we think a little more honestly about what life is. I know there's been suffering in our own community here. You know, some in our in the room, even today, have gone through some pretty traumatic things in the last few weeks, and, and that draws up within them a different view of life than someone who everything's going just perfectly with no hiccups. I'm going somewhere with this, by the way. For us, just to kind of clue you in where our family is, for the last couple of years we've been struggling for a number of reasons in relation to Deidre's parents. We're kind of getting in that age where our parents are getting older. and Her dad has had significant pain in his leg for years now, and he, he's gone to specialists and had surgeries. and It's gotten so bad. I, if you, Those of you who know us or know her parents, like he's, he was a pipe fitter at, at you know, Y-12 in Oak Ridge for years. I mean, he's... You know, he's just one of these guys that knows how to do anything. He lives on a 17-acre farm and raises cows and horses and goats and chickens and all kinds of things. And But he's been pretty much bed-bound for the last year because he's got had this pain in his leg. And so we've been to specialist after specialist after specialist trying to help him. Those of you who know her mom know her mom's health has been bad for years and finally someone said he has uh, um, I can't even remember the name of it complex regional pain syndrome that's the name of it complex regional pain syndrome is code for we have no idea and we know it hurts real bad I'm not joking look it up that's what it means we have no idea but we know it hurts real bad and so we kept going back and asking questions and just 
Deidre, her sister, her brother, they kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. And so they finally did a biopsy, came back with some numbers, and he has uh, a stage four sarcoma. And that's what's been causing his pain in his leg now for years. And when you have cancer for years, undiagnosed, it's not good. So it has spread. And so this week, they came and spent the week with us, and it was a great week. He was, you know, he stayed in the house most of the time. He'd go eat with us, you know, a couple of times, but he mostly had to stay in the house and just take care of himself. And um, But then Deidre's sister and brother uh, flew with them to Houston uh, to go to MD Anderson, which is where they are right now. And uh, tomorrow we get an, we have an appointment with a specialist to tell us what this means. It's no matter what you look it up, it's not good. And so this has been kind of what most of you don't know is been our year of taking care of them doing things they can't do, now preparing for lots of trips, possibly to Houston, and possibly for them to say, well, there's just nothing we can do. This particular cancer, like MD Anderson's the place to go, but of all, it's a huge place. Of all the doctors there, only one specializes in this. That's how rare it is. When you, when you aren't just cruising along in life, you ask different questions. And I'm convinced that this is why Jesus said, abide in me. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't make it on your own. He goes so far as to say, you can't even do a good work on your own or bear fruit on your own. That happens as a result of making your home with me. Now, if I were to pull, I'm going to do these rapid fire because I'm, I'm going along here. I'm going to pull these rapid fire. Seven things you can pull from those verses, and I want you to think about this as you go on. Number one, those who abide in Christ bear fruit. Those who don't abide in Christ don't bear fruit. Period. No in between. Jesus is not the, the, the Jesus of the in between. He's like, be hot or be cold. Be in the vine or not in the vine. Bear fruit or don't bear fruit. There are many things we should not be so binary on in life, but these, Jesus says, this is the choice. You're bearing fruit or you're not. Those who abide in Christ bear fruit. Those who aren't abiding in Christ aren't bearing fruit. If you've been a Christian for years and nothing has changed, something's wrong. We are a new creation people. We are a transformational people. We are not a snap your fingers and you're the perfect person ever walked the face of the planet, though there are some people who believe that way. We are a people that say we will grow and develop and become more over time. We are becoming something. But if you can't think of a time that you was any different than right now, if you've never grown in intimacy with Christ, if you've never spent time with Him and thought this is meaningful, if, if you don't see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control growing within you, something's wrong. Now, here's where He would say, 
Now, don't go around telling people where they are on the scale. Like, worry about where you are on the scale. There is a scale. Where are we? Those who abide in Christ bear fruit. Number two, those who don't abide in Christ do not bear fruit and are judged. We escape judgment because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He died for us. Number three, we prove we are disciples of Christ if we bear fruit. There are a couple of places Jesus says this, and the bearing fruit is very much tied not just with the fruit of the Spirit, but love, loving God and loving each other. He says, this is how they'll know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. They're tied together. We prove we are disciples of Christ if we bear fruit. We abide in Christ's love when we keep his commandments. Which means there's a part of abiding that is so interconnected with following that if you're not following, it doesn't matter how often you come to church, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We abide in Christ's love when we keep his commandments. And while we could go through a whole list of commandments, Jesus has helped us by shortening it down to two, which is love God and love people. And every other bit of the law is wrapped up in that. Five, we abide in Jesus just as Jesus abides in God. He's given us an example. Number six, our joy is a result of his joy in us, not your own ability to conjure it up. Which means the more we abide in Christ, the more joy we have. One of the things that I've shared before, I can't stand. Like, I, so we should not victimize victims. But there is a love of victimizing ourselves in the culture. Let me take a picture of me weeping so you'll feel bad for me. Now, there are people that need care, and we need to love them, and we certainly don't need to sit here and judge whether they're actually really hurting or not. But there should be within us, if we have found the answer, and we are abiding in Christ, and we are growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and in joy, that if we tell people this is what it means to follow Jesus, but anything we ever post about is how awful everything is, why would they ever want it? Now, we shouldn't fake it. Christians are bad about faking it. But listen, there should be a moment within ourselves that we say, wait, something is wrong. not let me put myself out there so I get sympathy. And I recognize there's a really fine line here. I do not want to be crass or uncaring or judgmental. And there are times, like, it's hard to have joy with some of the things our family is going through. And it's hard at times to have joy with some of the things your families are going through. It's not like we're just immune to pain. But we should have joy if we're abiding in him. Number seven. We have only this kind of joy when we are abiding in Christ. Let me just share it with you this way. There, Jesus says some things that really like got him killed. <laughs> and some of those are, you have to love me more than you love your mother, or your father, your brothers, or your sisters. It doesn't mean you love him instead of. It just means... Like, he's the pearl of great price. He's the thing that makes it make sense. He's like, 
I, I, I love Jesus more than other things. Not a thing I love, but like more than everything else. My ability to love other people stems from my love for Jesus and His love for me and my abiding in Him that lets me love other people because I, that's not my default. I'm not a default person who loves well. It's only in abiding in Christ if I ever do love well. I just got to say, if you've never had that moment where the hair on your, the back of your neck stands up, and goosebumps pop up, and you're just overwhelmed with the sense of goodness and love of Christ, and that you are loved, and that He is with you. Something's not right. I recognize some have come up in a very non-experiential background. I did. And that almost sounds crazy, like crazy talk. But it's just like the disciples when they were threatened to stop talking about Jesus. And they said, how can we not tell of what we have seen and heard? We have experienced something. And yes, they walked with Jesus physically. What have we experienced? What have we seen and heard in Jesus? When I was 15, I had... When I was 8, I got baptized. I believed the right things. I recited the right things to my pastor. But I didn't get it till I was 15. I see him now. I understand. I want to be a new creation. I, in all honesty, do not abide well all the time. And sometimes I look back and think, I haven't really abided in Him in quite a while. It's not good. It's hard for me to give you a five-step way to abide in Christ other than when Jesus says, abide in my love, abide in my word, follow me. It means that every part of our life goes through the filter of Jesus. Not that Jesus is the addition to the things that we're doing. Everything filters through Jesus. Your career choice filters through Jesus. Your marriage choice filters through Jesus. How how you make decisions filters through Jesus. You think about Him, not just on Sunday mornings, but all week long. I don't mean that you just think about Jesus and nothing else, because then you're going to get fired and the house will never get taken care of and cars will break down. But I mean, he's there. He's a part of the way we process the world, process our lives, process things. And it is easier when you're in a catastrophic period of suffering. But you don't have to be. One thing we're going to do this morning, and I'm really letting this out late today, but we are going to take communion together. So I'm going to pray. And as the band comes out, just come up and grab one. If you need a gluten-free, right across the top of the gluten-free one's on the trays. It says gluten-free. Jesus also says, you abide in me when you eat my flesh and drink my blood, which honestly was one of the things that got him killed <laughs> when he said that. Because it was after the, one of those comments in which they were like, we got to get rid of this guy. Like, this guy's nuts. Now, we don't here believe that this is actually the blood and flesh of Jesus, though there are other churches who do teach and believe that. We don't I don't, I don't, if it, that is true, then okay, but I don't need for that to be true. Um, if you do, then that's fine. But 
when we take this, we abide in Him. We are reminded of what He has done for us and reminded that our life is now His. When I was, when I was young, my first girlfriend, we were going together. I don't know what you call it now. I can't get a straight answer from my kids. When you're dating, but like I was going, we were going together. Will you go with me? Check yes or no. She said yes. We were going together for a year and a half. The worst day of my life up until that moment was the day that she passed me a note in class and said, can I call you today? <gasps> you mean we have to talk? We have to talk? Are you kidding me? I was like, what do I do? What? She wants to, she wants to talk to me. Like, we're going together. Isn't that enough? We have to talk too? And now I was in second grade. <laughs> you know, I was like 18. I was in second grade. But we would never think that you have a relationship with somebody that you never talk to them. Maybe part of abiding in Christ is that. We want to spend time with you every day. Not just like a rare occasion, but every day. If we teach our kids to abide in Christ, we literally have nothing to worry about. If we ourselves spend our time abiding in Christ, we have nothing to worry about. Now let me just leave this with you for this week, and maybe it's a question you can ask yourself, and it's a question I'm asking myself. When is the last time you truly felt that you were abiding in Christ? You're like, I don't know. I don't know when it is. Can I just encourage you that He doesn't make it hard? Nor make you feel bad that it's been a while or maybe it's been never? He says, I stand at the door and knock. I'm inviting you to this moment. I'm inviting you to abide in me. I, if you want that, I want that. He doesn't cross his arms and say, I, you know, it's been a while. He doesn't do that. He just welcomes us back. Let's spend some time this week figuring out, are we doing this? Are we abiding in Christ? We'll talk about this again in a few weeks. We're not going to talk about this next week, but we're going to go more in. Uh, more into the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and we're going to do that, honestly, after our, our elementary schoolers are in their their environment so that we can have some more adult conversation. Um, because a lot of the talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's pretty salacious. So we'll spend some more time in that um, in a few weeks. I want to pray with you. Come up and grab one of these. We're going to very quickly, after this song, we're going to take communion together. Um, and then I hope I'll see you next week, and I'll try to do better on my time management next week as well. Father, I thank you for your love, the grace that you give us. In the catastrophic suffering of our lives, you are still with us, you draw us, you call us. I thank you that you love us even when we've been away, even when our minds have been on other things. We've, been, we, we've seen you as somehow less than the most important thing in our lives. Please forgive us for that. I thank you that your constant calling is for us to know you and that you make yourself able to be known. I pray for those in this room that, that you would help us to see where we are in bearing fruit. Are we bearing fruit today? But I know there's somebody, at least one in here, 
that you are doing incredible things and they are bearing fruit left and right. But in their mind, they're going to think, no, not me. I'm the worst of the worst. I know there's somebody in here that's going to feel that way. And Father, I pray that you would open their eyes to the good work that you've been doing in their life, how they have grown and how they have changed. I pray that you would remove this the false teaching that we just need to try harder. We just need to do more. Instead, we will just experience the fullness of your presence. I pray you'll show us where we're abiding well and where we're not. And I pray that we would, as a community, as a faith community, if we can give anything to this community around us, it would be that we are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Help us to do that. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.